Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of Finding Our Way, our Southridge member podcast, uh, sharing with you some of the inside scoops of our community. And uh, we got a real treat this morning, uh, an extended conversation from what we heard yesterday in our Thanksgiving service uh, with our location pastor, Mike Minema, and his wife, Marcella. So uh, both of you say hi to our membership that are listening to this. Hi, everyone. Hi, everyone. And uh, Marcella, I'm going to focus on you for a moment because, Mike, you've done one of these podcasts before and given us a little bit of your backstory. Just to tell us a little bit, Marcella, about your background, because those of us from across our locations probably don't know you that well. Yeah. So I came from a little small town of Smithville that most people probably know. And I grew up in a Christian family from uh, my whole life. And I was the only girl of four brothers. <laughs> so that was interesting, but I was very proud of it. I love my big brothers and little brother. Um, and yeah, that's basically it. How long have you guys been married? Oh, what are we at? Almost 17. 17 in Octo- October 26th. Do you want to tell the story about how you met or sure. anything fun so for us to know about actually, that that can embarrass Mike? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we actually met in college, but uh, yeah. She snubbed me at a party. <laughs> that's what he says. So anyways, I didn't really know him. I knew of him. We did not hang out in the same groups. Um, I was much too cool for him. Still is. So, uh, <laughs> so then we ended up teaching at the same school. And um, at first we just were friends and didn't even really connect that well. But the more we hung out, it just led to love. And our students were totally involved and loved it. It was very cute. It's a cute story. Two teachers falling in love. Grade seven and grade eight. Yeah. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, why don't we then just kind of dive in to what really I think is going to be a phenomenal conversation, but, but is quite serious because we're here today to talk about a, a moment in your lives that you'll never get back when your world was rocked. So, uh, walk us through, first of all, that era, and we'll just process that as the story progresses. Yeah. So August 6, 2014. August seven. August 7. Oh, boy. Um, during the day, I wasn't feeling very good, and I had pains in my, what I thought were heart pains. I had two episodes, so one, I ended up on the couch in pain. The second one, um, and Mike kept telling me to go to the hospital. I'm like, no, I'm fine. I actually just took some Tums and thought it would go away, and then it happened again, and I called my dad he's had heart issues and uh, he had a heart attack two heart attacks when I was a kid and when my dad says go to the hospital then you listen Mm -hmm. so I actually did never once dreaming of what I would hear so I thought it would go emergency we all do this right get some pills go home again Um, so they did EKG not the heart uh, but they put me in a room and I waited for a long long time and then an intern came in and he said so it's your gallbladder. I was like, okay. Uh, we found 100 gallstones. Wow. Okay. But, and then there was the but. We also found a mass. And I didn't know what to think or do with that. I didn't really know what he was talking about. It didn't hit me. And I don't think, I think for most people who hear that, they don't. It, yeah. It just doesn't process, right? You don't process it. We're not built to process something like that. So then the doctor came in and he said, yeah, we could be looking at cancer. And at that time, Mike and the kids were just coming down the hall to visit me. And I quickly called him and said, stop, don't bring the kids in because then I was a mess. Yeah. 
And I only really had a minute, like a nurse said, oh, I'll take the kids to go get a lollipop or something. And so she took them and literally I had a minute to process Marcella in tears sharing, they think it's cancer. And then 60 seconds later, the kids bounce in like, hey, mom, what's <laughs> up? And we kind of had to just wipe tears and, uh, you know, hang out with you for a little bit. And then friends took the kids after for supper. And then we could just sort of talk with doctors and they said they had further testing to do and you were in the hospital that whole weekend and then London got involved, uh, the hospital system in London got involved and yeah. it progressed from there. So. Yeah, so just camping out even on that that instant or even the season around that instant because like you said, you almost don't process it in the moment. Um, what was it like to hear those words or hear them again and again and again in mm. the weeks or months that followed? Yeah. Well, I had had a scare a few years ago, and I still remember driving to the doctor and saying, this could be it. There's a before and an after. And those results turned out fine. So I kind of thought this would be that too, that mm. there's no way I'm going to get the same results, right? They're going to they're gonna look at it and say, no, it's not. Um, I never actually believed that it was cancer for many weeks they I would say like it wasn't real it was very surreal so they were doing the test and I think that's also because the doctor so the, my doctor was first from Woodstock and he often said oh, you're young like this gallbladder cancer is a, a disease for the elderly I, I just don't think it is like and he gave me lots of hope um, so we just heard from and various nurses that said, I don't think so. So I don't think it hit until surgery. Surgery, they right away found out it was malignant. Um, but we got it all. So again, we felt good. We're like, okay, we're good to go. Um, so I think it really hit two weeks later when we got the pathology report. And they said, it has spread to lymph nodes. And that was probably uh, from the first maybe diagnosis that was when the real diagnosis hit this is real and how long was was that period six six weeks, weeks. It was so there, long. Was, there was a major surgery in there too right like yeah it's called a radical cholecystectomy which is a massive surgery that takes out the gallbladder the gallbladder bed part of the liver the bile ducts the lymph nodes etc and the doctor came out and, and he, said i got it all he I said think it i was, got it all it was a great surgery it took he told us it would be a four-hour surgery, and it was almost seven, so the last three hours in the waiting room was torture. But when he came out, he felt like, oh, I got everything. So we just had these highs and lows. We talk about it being a roller coaster ride because mm -hmm. you get this, oh, it's cancer, and then you get, we got everything, and then mm -hmm. it's, no, we didn't. It's in the lymph nodes. We have to start chemotherapy, mm -hmm. so that was what the next plan yeah. was. We actually had a Facebook page throughout this whole thing, and I read it last night, and I compared it to a ride on the behemoth at Canada. Yeah, and I'm like, no, because that's really fun. But yeah. you know what I mean by yeah. the roller coaster, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, my understanding is that that first stint in the hospital, or that first moment you're walking the kids in, and, and uh, Marcella, you're getting the, the news, that wasn't actually when you would say your world was rocked. No. Describe for us sort of what it took or, or where this led for your world to really be rocked by this. Yeah. So for, yeah, basically a year I was on treatment and things were looking good. 
chemo. I did a month of radiation. Um, doctors kept saying, uh, looks good. And even things like we're just kind of going in there with a vacuum and cleaning up any loose, you know, tumor particles or anything. And it sounded good. Like everybody was so positive. And they kept saying, you're aged, you're so young, you're healthy, which is funny. So many doctors are like, you're so healthy. I'm like, oh, I have cancer. But, (laughs) but I knew what they meant. And, um, I knew the stats, but especially one doctor said, you are not a stat. So the stat that we read and people say, don't Google, but we all do. So right when I heard it could be gallbladder cancer, stage four, I Googled it. And the percentage or the stats are uh, 2% of people with it survive after five years. So that has always been in my head from the very beginning. Didn't actually believe that would happen to me. Mm -hmm. Um, So finished radiation in June of 2015 and kind of thought we were good to go, like planning for our future. I was going to go back to teaching in September. We had Um, a great summer. It was great summer. Cottage, like normal and October, I had a CAT scan, end of October, and they're always scary. Like, people talk about scanxiety, mm. and it's awful. Mm. Like, I could go into detail, but we don't have enough time. Yeah. But, yeah, like, nights before not sleeping. So, this one, too. Um, but November 19, we went in for the news, and it was the—it it, it, it happened in the worst possible way. Because, first of all, I think we waited— Five hours. Oh he was very, very busy. So five hours. When our appointment was like at one, the doctor saw us around six. Um, still in good moods. I still remember laughing in the room and there was this push for emergency button. And I said to Mike, I'm going to push it because I think this long <laughs> of waiting is an emergency. <laughs> and then suddenly our doctor came to the door and I could tell from his face. He peeked around the corner and just had a look on his face like... Oh, and I got to tell you this. Yeah. Everything stopped. Yeah. And we knew. And he said, it isn't good. Yeah. And I think that's when our world stopped. Yeah. So then he went on to explain that what they had thought in June when they did a scan, they thought, oh, we got everything. There's a little bit of scar tissue. Well, it wasn't scar tissue. It was still tumor. And uh, he told us that the tumors were back. They were growing rapidly. Like three centimeters in weeks. Not no. even. It was more. Way, it, started, no more. it started at one centimeter round, one tumor. And within a few weeks, there were five tumors, 10 centimeters round each. And four on the liver, one on a lymph node. And so we tried to process through tears, through shock. <laughs> what he was telling us and he, and I mean he, we left that meeting being told you know we're we're looking at months to live so well I asked him because I don't know if he was going to say but I, I needed to know so I said what do I have and he said yeah six months maybe a year and <laughs> that awful. you can't I can't even describe the feeling like utter despair I don't know how we drove home you were hysterical. I mean, I was driving down the 401 and you were punching me in the car and screaming and yelling and I was just bawling and uh, it was it was horrific. Yeah. So and then pretty quickly after that, they said it's definitely less than six months. And yeah, they found more. They found um, a couple of weeks later, we got a call and it was even worse than they thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So 
and you started to get very sick. You'd lost a lot of weight. You'd lost a lot of energy. Yeah. It was, it was, it was bad. It was really So bad. yeah. So that first weekend we found out we, it was kind of nice because my family all got a cottage and we just spent time together. Um, but it was really hard to have the kids and try to be normal because we didn't tell them. Um, didn't know how to at that yeah. point. So good thing my nieces and nephews took them out. The crazy thing is there was a blizzard that weekend and it just totally mirrored how we felt. And we were hopeless, like absolutely hopeless. So we'd spent a year with a lot of hope. And and even in, at that weekend, people would say, our family would say like, you never know, you never know. But we would stop and look at each other and say, like, we know what's happening. This is happening and we have to start planning for it. So, yes, hope is not working anymore. Yeah. And that kept us going it was previously. Because we started looking at... I was at seminary at the time. You were asking, like, can you just quit all of that, forget serving a church, and get a job where you'll be at a school so that you're on the same schedule as the kids because I'm not going to be alive past the school year. Like, summer comes, I'm going to be gone. And within a week, too. So my brother had been living in South Korea for 15 years, and he flew home to live with us. And sold everything. And sold just everything. So came to watch the kids so that I could be at every appointment. Yeah. And it, it was just a whirlwind it was ridiculous yeah so describe from that world rocking you know incapacitated drive home mm -hmm. uh, era the the weeks and months kind of ensuing from there how are you when you said we're past hope i, I love that comment um because i think it captures the, the the real essence of this how are you experiencing God and faith in that era of your lives? Because there's a whole bunch going on familially and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, even with parentally and mm -hmm. practically you're processing all that. Like what's happening spiritually in your heads and hearts? Yeah, I would say then, like, to be honest, um, and I think this would be pretty normal, we were pretty far from God at that point, which is funny because... Well, it's not funny, but the previous year, he was so close. Like, I was on my spiritual high during the first year of treatment. Like, I've never been so close to God. He was with me in my CAT scan machines, like everything. But when you have cancer, you have nothing else to rely on. Mm -hmm. So that was like, I will always look back at that time as um, my closest to God. Um, that point, we didn't want to go to church. Um, I yelled at him because I said, how could you let my kids lose another mother because they're adopted? So they've already lost a birth mother. How can this be? How can you let a husband lose a wife? Like all kinds of anger. And I didn't see him. And I think uh, there's a lot of pivotal moments, but the first one was my mom was over and I said, I don't see God. And she looked and pointed on our cupboard to all the cards so many cards people sent and she said he's there he's in every mm -hmm. one of those words and that was and that was amazing we, we did have a church community that we couldn't physically bring ourselves to but they were constantly with us praying providing they would stop by with food with yeah. money like they just dove in yeah. and they carried our faith for a while yeah because we couldn't do it ourselves. And yeah, often, yeah, I would, they would say, like, we are praying on behalf of Marcel and Mike, who can't pray right now. And 
I believe that led to the next part of the story because yeah. we couldn't. No. We were just too broken. We didn't put anything on the blog for a no. while because we no, just No, weeks were, without writing on the blog. We were just mm. in despair. Mm. Yeah. So Now you talk about this next mm-hmm. phase of the story. So walk us through that mm-hmm. phase. So in this pit of despair, as we call it, just preparing for death, which is a terrible thing to think about. And I know everybody, I, I, I even had people say, well, we're all going to die. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's a little different. That, that's not the encouragement that I need right now. <laughs> right. I, I you actually, weren't actually told. <laughs> I had actually started writing the sermon for your funeral. Like uh, this was, this was yeah. where we were. We started wow. talking that way. Like it was crazy. So our pastor, so Pastor Chris came over early, oh, early, a couple weeks he let us kind of be. I mean, he came to pray, but a couple of weeks after this, the bad diagnosis, um, he came over and he said, all right, so you have two choices. Guys, you can accept what the doctors say and not fight, or you cannot accept what the doctors say and fight. Which one? And he kind of point blank did that. And we looked at each other and we're like, we're going to fight. Mm-hmm. And so that was very important because we had lost the fight. And he encouraged us to, there's other things, just because this doctor said that. So he got our, our hope back, and he really pushed that. And then the next day, my best friend for since grade two came over, and she actually, because I'm like, well, you know, I hear there's treatments in Mexico, but we can't afford them. Like, she's like, don't, like, question. Get on the phone. So she actually got on the phone with a few clinics in Mexico, talked to people, and there was so much hope there. They were like, oh, we can get her in next week. When do you want? So all of a sudden, we are on a new journey of finding alternatives. And that brought us out of that pit. Yeah. And at the same time, we made an appointment with the oncologist and said, we are not accepting this. We may have to. We knew that, but... <laughs> We're going to fight. And so he said, you know, let me try Princess Margaret. I know some colleagues there. I did my residency there. Maybe we can get your name there. So he started connecting with Princess Margaret to see if there was anything that could happen. And my sister is a director of three hospitals in the Toronto area, and she had colleagues at Princess Margaret. So she started making connections, too, to see. And So it was kind of cool. From two different areas, my name was being presented woven into these options and it turns out that there was an experimental kind of a low percentage shot but Mm -hmm. an experimental option for you to consider Mm -hmm. yeah so we had first been told there was nothing but we had an appointment anyway we went to that appointment in on january 4 i think it was we had already planned mexico we were going we had a, a gofundme page going already which was amazing people give like oh Yes, the community of saints definitely is is powerful. Yeah. So we went to that meeting thinking, uh, this doesn't really matter. We're, no. We have a plan. I didn't even want to go to the meeting at Princess Margaret. But January 2. We met with a doctor, who, uh, Dr. Hansen, who nope. said... first doctor. Oh, yeah. This was part of the story. The first doctor came in and said, yeah, we don't really have anything for your kind of cancer. Um, basically, yeah, that's it. And she walked out. And I was getting my coat on. And then Dr. Hansen, who's like, I love him. He's phenomenal. So he came in and his first question was, do you have kids? I'm like, yes. And he said, a trial just opened up and it's for bilial cancers. 
Like, we were in shock. So he was explaining it, and we didn't realize, because what we were looking at in Mexico was immunotherapy. Yeah. So he started as- describing all this kind of stuff, and then your brother was with us, and yeah. Pete said, are you are you talking about immunotherapy? And he said, yeah. Well, that changed everything. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, we had to get into this trial, and it was like a binder thick full of criteria to get into mm-hmm. it. And Marcella's blood count was not good enough, so her tumor markers when you're when tumors are growing they leave a marker in the blood he said those have to be under the number 50 for you to get into the trial doesn't matter what happens after but yours are too high and my liver enzymes were too high yeah so what we asked what can we do about that he said nothing so we went to social media we went to churches we just asked everybody will you just pray marcella's numbers will be under 50 by friday and people just prayed and prayed and prayed and so we went in on the Friday and he said, your numbers are 47. So you're in the trial. We're done. And so quickly, your numbers after that went through the roof, like 1,500 or something like that. Like you were so <laughs> sick. Awful. And the first couple of months of starting this immunotherapy trial, which all of this is, is he described it that a tumor has a force field around it. And all this does is takes the force field away and then trains your own immune system to fight cancer. And so a couple of months in, there was not much action. And then all of a sudden, just before March break, yeah. you he said, oh, there's like 12% reduction in tumors. And we just were shocked. And you said, we're going to Myrtle Beach. Like, let's get out of here. Let's go on vacation. So as that progressed more, and lit, like you need to understand, 10 people were in this trial in Canada. That's it. And uh, they told us, if you get to 30% reduction, we'll do a second year, because it's $250,000 a year. Well, you hit that 30%, and even now, like, you're at 75% reduction in tumors. Yeah, just kept... Haven't been on the treatment for a year and a half, and it's still working. She has an immune system that can fight cancer, not a cold... You know, a bad, <laughs> but it can fight cancer. LPLC, yes, it's not, it's not fighting my cold right now. <laughs> so you get into this uh, very rare, very unlikely experimental treatment, and it mm-hmm. starts to work, and things have been radically changing yeah. since then. And was there a, a, a moment kind of in this last season where you, you know, really had good news or really felt hopeful? Oh, I, like, our last like, visit. So um, so a lot of people will go on immunotherapy and then they can be on it the rest of their lives. Well, one of the side effects is that your autoimmune system goes into overdrive. So twice I got pneumonitis, which is like severe pneumonia. So once I was taken off the treatment, major steroids, which that's a whole other story, awful, the highest dose. Um, the second time... I was just almost done the two-year protocol, and I had to go off. And that was a little bit dev- little devastating because I'm like, this is working. If I go off, what's going to happen, right? But I'm like, nope, we're just going to leave it with God. Like, we have done that this whole way, right? We're going to leave it. And so I, it's been – I'm almost at two years. January will be two years. Without treatment. Without treatment. Yes. And so the last results, my CAT scan results were good again. They're still, they're still even shrinking more. Um, and my doctor just said, I can't say this like 100%, but he's smiling. And he's like, like, you're at two years off treatment. I don't know anybody like this. He said, 
when people go off this treatment, it comes back in a year. And otherwise, it doesn't. So, oh, and we, we need to share, like, of the 10 people in the trial, oh, yeah. you're the only one alive. Um, which <laughs> she, is, she's the trial. <laughs> you're it. And, and they, they call me the anomaly yeah, at Princess yeah. Margaret. And they, and they told us about 100 people did it across North America. And a handful reached the 30% because they consider that success. A handful did, but they never really progressed past the 30%. Well, you're at like 75 and it's still shrinking. And they just told us, oh, we don't have to do scans every three months. We can actually move to every Graduated. six months. And, you know, they'll do that for a while. But they're talking like, then we'll do every year. And then yeah. at 10 years, you know, we'll probably say we don't have to do this anymore. Like they're actually talking a decade in advance. Mm. Like, that's a, it's a dream. Mm. Like, it's, it's amazing. It's a miracle. Mm. It's a miracle. No doubt. Yeah. Yeah. That was the first doctor in London told us, barring a miracle, there's nothing we can do. <laughs> and here we are. We hit the five-year mark, right? 2% will live five years. We hit that in August. Yep. Celebrated. Celebrated. And, and you know, we're now looking at years to go. So, yeah. Uh, guys, thanks so much for uh, sharing your journey in an extended way with us. Uh, we've been so inspired by the faith and faithfulness that you've shown, even when it was impossible to carry that hope and faith on your own. Uh, I hope all of our listeners have been inspired and can even lean into the two of you to a greater degree uh, personally mm -hmm. if uh, it's helpful in the things that we're navigating and, and, and struggling with because of the resource that you want to be. Uh, gang, I hope that you've been inspired as you've been listening to this and that you'll continue to track with us, especially as we, stare, as we share these kinds of stories across our community in a regular way through a vehicle like this as we continue to be finding our way together. So thanks for joining us. We'll see you again on the podcast next week. Take care, everyone.